Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Few, where we take a bit of a deep dive on those people who are living their true purpose, doing the things they want to do, and redefining success in their own uh, definition. Hey, Sean, how are you, mate? How's the weather up on uh, the Sunshine Coast? Uh, mate, as they say, beautiful one day, perfect the next. Yeah, definitely not what it looks like outside the window here as we roll into the endless winter that is summer in New South Wales. Uh, look, super excited today. I think we're going to learn uh, a little bit more about what it is to be human and maybe some of the things that we do that we don't realize that we're doing that aren't allowing us to be the best versions of ourselves or the best versions of our teams or the best best version of our, not the best virgin, that's uh, not what I mean, the best version of <laughs> everything that we can be. Uh, so, look, with no further ado, I really want to welcome uh, Natalie Waters on the show today. G'day, Natalie. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to chat with Sean and myself. Hey, guys. How are you going? Very well. And as we said before, you're just down the road from from Sean. Both of you living the dream uh, up where probably half of Australia is moving since oh, COVID. I know. It's such a beautiful part of the world. We're, we're blessed. We're very lucky. The property market is definitely feeling that uh, that trend of people moving north for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually it is. It's all the southerners that we uh, that is driving the price of the, the property, isn't it? God damn southerners! Yeah, oh, gosh, what is it about southerners? No matter what country you are, it's always the ones, always the ones from the south that cause all the trouble. Uh, and this is actually, sorry, speaking of COVID, I've got my wipes here, getting excited. This is actually an interesting segue. We, we were we were having a chat before, Natalie, wondering where you came from. And looking at different careers and and the different streams uh, that uh, people, you know, the the life of adventure that some people embark upon. Where did you start life as a child? Yeah, Um, that's a really good question. I I actually grew up in, on the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, you just you blew my theory completely out of the water. Here I was saying to Sean, I'm a Queenslander. Queenslanders, that's where all the adventurous people come from. That's why Nat's out there all over the world. It's all Queen Victoria. There we go. Okay. So that theory's blown out of the water. Sorry. So Mornington Peninsula. Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. And it was, um, I guess, from there, um, went up to the Whitsundays. So I guess I. I, I migrated up to the Whitsundays, ended up working on the islands up there on Hayman. Tough. Oh, Hayman Island. You're the second person we've podcasted today that worked on Hayman Island. No. Really? Yep. Absolutely. We just had Andrew McLeod on earlier and he said that washing dishes on Hayman Island was the best job he ever had. <laughs> I can believe that. So what was that What was that about? So here you are, morning t- did you, were you just sick of the cold weather? You decided to go up and... Uh, up where the uh, the sun shines a little bit more. Look, I think I was just looking for an adventure. I think that was probably you know when I when you put it that way, that was my first adventure that I that I went on, moving away from where you know it, somewhere totally different, and from there started sea kayaking and started everything sort of outdoorsy adventure. And I guess it, it's all got, all grown from there. Was that something that was in your blood though? Like in, in when you were a kid growing up, were you an adventurous type? Were you a quiet type? Were you gregarious? Did you have a kind of vision for your life, or did you just sort of have a? Well, how would you have defined you know, your your childhood? Mum and Dad, I, I was um, one of three, uh, the eldest of the three, and I guess Mum and Dad always encouraged us to get out there and try something new. So always trying something different, trying something we hadn't done before. So, you know, for me it was not being afraid of when an opportunity comes up to, to say why not, just go for it, as opposed to, oh, I haven't done that before. So, yeah, Mum and Dad, I guess, we're, we're a real driver for, for us three kids to just 
keep doing things you haven't done before because that's how you're going to grow. So um, you know, I guess taking the plunge, moving up to Queensland, you know, working on an island was an adventure, but it wasn't such a scary one for me. So then for that journey, then um, you know, you're up there, you're, you're on the islands. You're, you're, it's a very beautiful place up there. We spent a month up in the with Sundays when we we're on our you know lap of Australia because it was so amazing. And yeah. um, but how did you then move towards a career in law enforcement, and particularly? one that was so special and such a specialised area of it? Well, I guess it's um, my life. You know, when, when I look at it on, on the twists and turns, I never knew where it was going to lead me. I, you know, there's no way a girl from Analyza could have, I guess, anticipated what I ended up doing or, you know, some of the things along the way. And it was, you know, for, it's, for me it's been a real journey. I guess from, from working on Hayman, got into to sea kayaking, went overseas, paddled in Canada and Mexico and, and worked out the sea kayaking was quite big over there. Decided to come back in my early, early 20s and decided to start up a sea kayak business. So at that time, you know, in, in the, you know, in the 80s, it was um, sea kayaking was, was in its infancy. So it was really taking a risk. It was doing something that hasn't been done before. I think there was a, a kite company in, um, in Tassie, one in Sydney, and we ended up on the Sunshine Coast, had all cool different destinations that we paddled with Sundays, Fraser, New Zealand, Fiji. And from there, I guess it was just an opportunity after an opportunity. We, we put the, the, um, the sea kite business on the market and a big customs boat pulled up at the back of my shop. So from there was, um, I guess, the next chapter. Was that by accident it pulled up or was it there with intent? <laughs> no, it pulled up to, to refuel and I had a great little shop. So it was right on the water. And um, so I just went down and had a chat to the guys. And at that stage, they looked pretty cool in uniform, lots of guns. And, and I said to my partner at the time, who's my partner in life and partner in business. That's a journey in itself. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that, that probably didn't end as, as successful as um, as many businesses, and, and that's a, a lesson in life itself, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's a, some real boundaries that you need to set, and a mutual understanding as to how that whole dynamic works. You're pretty hot on that, Sean. Uh, in the inner circle, group, a lot of my clients call me the nickname me the marriage counselor because uh, it's uh, <laughs> that, that that neutral party that sits in between them when they're running a business. So it can be uh, it can be very helpful, and you got to be careful you're not looking like you're taking sides but um, it's definitely a treacherous waters to navigate for sure. Emotional versus logical decision-making, as we've, we've learned a lot about uh, today. Now, a quick question with that. So here you are, fairly, you know, obviously very adventurous and going into your a sea kayaking business, you're an entrepreneur, you don't really answer to anyone, you've got your own business, and, and now you're going to the other end of the spectrum, which is to go and uh, explore working with the government. You like guns that much? Yeah, well, I guess it's, it is. You're right. It's, it's the extremes of being your own boss, having flexibility to all of a sudden having a mission, having outcomes and, and you know, completing the task and saying that you'll do it even though you think that it might be in the face of danger or adversity. It's, it's completing the mission. So um, we, we ended up, uh, there was a brand new unit um, that was being advertised actually. So after, after going down on the boat, absolutely blown away just by the coolness of it and I came back and said that's what I want to do. I just jumped on the website actually and they were recruiting for this brand new unit called SOMPRU, Southern Ocean Maritime Patrol and Response Unit. And it was a brand new unit that they were setting up to go down to the Southern Ocean for long periods of time, long deployments um, for illegal fishing, um, legal import of uh, narcotics. And, uh, And I just went through the application. I just thought, hey, why not? Well, I don't know what they're looking for. I had no law enforcement background, but just threw my hat in the ring. And um, I guess, you know, after lots of psychometric testing, um, various, it was probably about two or three months, ended up down in Canberra um, in a room full of 16 guys and, and myself. So I was the one that slipped through the cracks for sure. <laughs> and I imagine at that point in time, was that a particular branch of the government still quite male dominated? Was it something that you felt comfortable in straight away? Was it a was it gender equal? Was there anything about that environment or that particular role uh, that was a challenge for you as a woman? Yeah, lots of challenges. I'd be inhuman, you know, if there wasn't. There was, and there was challenges for guys. I, I have to say, there was lots of challenges for all of us going through that training. We, we were all told in that room in Canberra that we were 
uh, official risk takers. That's what they were looking for in that site testing, actually all those numerous site testing. They were looking for people that were willing to take on risks, um, you know, do a mission without knowing the yeah. And how was that? How was how was being told that's what you are? Yeah, that that was pretty bizarre. It it was um all of us laughed. We we just I guess being told that we're official risk takers, but the penny dropped for a lot of us because we we looked around the room and and there was um you know there was prison wardens, there was ex ADF, there was ex regiment, there was uh paramedic and there was myself the sea kite guy. And I think I was one of probably two of us that didn't have any law enforcement background, which they didn't mind. They were just looking for people that obviously were were happy to take risks. Comfortable in the water, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and to go down and I guess so our, our, our job was boarding party. Uh, first and foremost was to, to board vessels that were um, obviously incursions in, in the Southern Ocean and uh, to do boardings in, in really difficult situations, all different sea states. Yeah, yeah, look, the training was was immense. Um, there was another girl, actually, but she unfortunately couldn't get through the training. But um, a couple of guys actually didn't get through the training. So I think in the end there was about 15 of us that deployed on the first inaugural trip out of Hobart on the Aurora Australis, actually, which I just see is uh, just been retired. Yeah, it's always cool seeing the Aurora Australis in, uh, alongside in, uh, in Hobart. Yeah, I'm still trying to get, get my head around it. Go, Sunshine Coast all over the world, probably in very calm, beautiful, warm waters. Everyone's in their swimmers, you know, bikinis on, boardies on, and head to toe now in immersion suits, uh, running around, what, chasing illegal fishermen. It's such a random <laughs> left and right field. It is. It's totally. I, I get it. I agree with you totally. And sometimes I pinch myself just saying, how did I get here? It was, um, you're right, we, we were doing boardings in dry suits. So yeah, about three different layers. Um, we had 20 kilo backpack on our backs. We had arm to the hilt. We had side arms, long arms, um, trained on 50 cal machine guns, which were mounted to the, the vessel um, to provide covering fire. We were pretty highly qualled up on firearms uh, to do the boardings. And um, Is it that dangerous down there? I mean, what's going on? <laughs> well, look, the Southern Ocean, we, because we were a government asset, we could be called to, to anything. So um, we had to, to be prepared to go away for six, eight, nine, 10, 11 weeks at a time. They were the deployment times. So if we were chasing, got into some intelligence that there was an incursion in Australian waters, um, we would go and apprehend that vessel. But obviously, if he did a runner, it, you were under um, hot pursuit. You could chase that vessel all the way to South America which um, never happened on one of my deployments, but did actually happen on one of um, one of the ones down there. So you, you had to be prepared. And obviously when you did a boarding, you had to be prepared to um, to be on, on their ship for any, any long amount of time. Yeah, right. You're allowed to swear on the show. We, you, trust, we've, had some, we've had a couple of guests here that have just a next level. So we threw away the idea of, uh, of, of not going down that route pretty early on. What, so, so what was that like in terms of, you know, managing life? Like you're, you're away a long time. Uh, you're, you're obviously in in a confined space. Uh, there's probably not a lot going on in but the long periods of boredom in between intense periods of activity. Uh, how did you find work life balance and you know, existing and your, your sense of self in that uh, in that environment? And was it a sustain? Was that something that you saw as being a sustainable existence? Yeah, it's look. You say a lot of downtime. There was a lot of downtime in between boardings, um, but we we did lots of training down there as well. So you know, throwing the tenders in alongside our vessel, getting out in lots of different sea states, and just throwing that ladder up and just boarding our vessel over and over again, just to to get the practice of just boarding vessels. So we did lots of weapons training, um, negotiation training. Uh, so we did lots on a moving platform, which was always tricky and obviously battling a bit of seasickness, which just became the norm. You just felt constantly, I, I guess, just, you know, at about 60%, but that that was just the norm. You just had to get on with the job and just, yeah, d- deal with any anything, ha- how you felt. Was the food okay? Or was there nothing to do with the food? The food was pretty good? <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the chefs were pretty good. There, there were days that we had to sit in the mess throw the seatbelt on and it was hard to eat actually. <laughs> not many people have not many people have dinner with a seatbelt on, are they? <laughs> but no, so no, one, of those, one of those skills that you learned as you said it was trained about, you know, things like hostage negotiation and things like that. What have you what what did you learn? What were some of the keys you learnt in I guess in relation to 
you know, human psychology in, in relation to communication, the things that some of our listeners could potentially take and apply in their day-to-day roles as business owners or, you know, whether they're, whether they're an employee or whatever. But you know, what, what, what did you learn there that's, that was really, really valuable to be able to use, you know, since then as well? Uh, I guess human behaviour is, is just understanding people. And uh, it, it's learned skills. Anyone can be a, a behavioural profiler. Anyone can really just understand people. It comes down to codes and patterns. And these codes and patterns are everywhere. It's a matter of you really identifying who you're speaking to. Um, Once you can understand what their motivators are, what their core needs are, you can just adapt the way you communicate with them and create rapport with anyone. And that can play out in business, you know, negotiating deals, remuneration packages. It can play out really well in teams, understanding teammates, understanding their strengths. Um, In leadership, it it can really play out, you know, in negotiating in sales. So it's, uh, you know, whether you're negotiating with a terrorist or you know negotiating with your ten year old, there's really <laughs> same thing here. Yeah. Believe it or not, don't you? <laughs> That's really interesting, and it really does boil down to all of us exhibiting those kind of core traits as human beings. It does, yeah. Codes and patterns, codes and patterns. So it's it's understanding, it's being able to calibrate who you chain to. So I guess it's and self awareness. So the average person we communicate the way organically, without even thinking about it, the way we like to, to be um, communicated with. So we don't think about anyone else most most of the time. We just think about how we – so if you're short and to the point, that's the way you communicate. So some people would take that as brash and um, arrogant or, you know, um, but if, if you like to tell a long story as opposed to a short story, that would piss some people off because they just like the facts. So I, I guess it's knowing how you are but then it's calibrating who you're chatting to. So it's really understanding. And, and then you can just rejig and, and just make a few changes on, on how you're communicating so that you can build that trust and rapport um, with anyone and connection. I could see that'd be really important when you're selling something strategically or you've got a, a great idea for an organisation, but there's quite a lot of people involved in the decision making and I think a mistake a lot of people make is they think everyone's the same and they the fact that this worked with this person is going to work with this person and and actually it could be complete opposite right you, you could you could be you could actually sink the deal because of these two people and the different way they approach things for sure I actually did some work with a real estate agent um, the other day and she's a real bubbly you know really a people person but she had to do a pitch um, to someone that was really straight to the point. So um, she was she had to adapt her communication style and it wasn't about her. Um, you know, she said, this is going to take 15 minutes. Actually, I'm going to get it over and done with 10. And straight away, he loved that. So everything in life is a negotiation. You know, we're negotiating all day, every day. It's, if you want someone to say yes to you, it's, it's a negotiation. So it's actually understanding people's, how people make decisions. It's interesting. Uh, some people, uh, I've had similar conversations, and some people say, "Well, that you're being manipulative. You're, 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 you're taking advantage of your training and what you know to manipulate people to do things they they don't want to do." And, and my philosophy is the op- opposite. It's like, well, it's actually called influence, and what what it is is. It's helping someone communicate the way they communicate. So what you say make makes sense. Doesn't doesn't get taken the wrong way. Do you, have you heard that before? Have you have you heard of people sort of say, "Oh, Natalie, you know that sounds a little bit manipulative." Or what's the difference between being manipulative and being influential? Yeah, it's it's a really good question, and um, you've got to really dig people. You've got to really genuinely and authentically want to understand that other person. So whoever you're negotiating with. Um, the, the key, a, mis- a big misconception is that you have to be a good talker, where really it's the opposite. You have to be a good listener. You have to be curious. You have to ask questions. What is it that, the, that they want? So whether you're negotiating with a, a suicide bomber on a bus or negotiating with um, a teammate or um, your leader or, or your daughter, it's, it's finding out what is it that they want and, and, and it's knowing what's driving them. 
So when you know what they want and what's driving them, you can change their outlook and ultimately change their decision-making. It's a similar theme to uh, one of the podcasts we, we did earlier today where it was listen to understand you know, is, is the core, you know, you got to listen to understand the person, but also genuinely have that desire to understand, because I think most people can pick up that you're um, turning it on, I guess, yeah. if you want a very expression that if you're pretending like you care to yeah. sell them something or whatever, that's when it falls into manipulation and it comes to intent, really underlying intent. Yeah. So based on, you know, you had the time on the ship having, you know, lunch. So can you, so, sorry, sorry, Sean, just to go back to that intent. So, so can you pick a psychopath? Can you see, can you can you pick out a sociopath or a psych, psychopath really quickly? Who, Sean or I? You. I oh, know Sean can. <laughs> no, no, because some people is just no. They're on game all time, right? Is there is there a few tricks that I've certainly seen a few in in my uh, working with some organisations? Is there a trick or a trait that? Well, it comes down to those codes and patterns. When it's it's finding when you meet someone who's who's genuine and authentic, they don't have to know it all. You know, especially in in your game, you know, when you're you're dealing with leaders, is you know the best leader is someone that says, "Hey guys, I don't know it all. I'm happy not to to be an expert in everything." And and that's when you rely on your team. So I think to answer to your question, when someone is trying to be something that they're not, it's really obvious. And we've all got this skill. This is not. Um, this is a skill can, that can be learned. It's just really understanding human behaviour, understanding what motivates someone, understanding when they're authentic just by the questions that they ask, the topics, what they're into, the topics that they, they talk about. I think you're right too. I mean, it's, it's definitely a learned skill. It's something that I was completely oblivious to when I was younger, but probably over the last 15 years, having developed that greater understanding of self, being able to then see it reflected in other people, yeah. I'd say the ability to pick up whether someone is you know, full of it or not becomes easier um, as you learn and look for those signals and patterns that, that really can support that, um, you know, your understanding of what their intent you know, really is, whether it's a, a positive or a negative one. So, so you're coming, coming back to your, your journey, you know, you, you've yeah. said you're eating lunch, you've, you've got your seatbelt on because it's so rough and everything. <laughs> I love that. Do you end up with Maccas in your lap like I do when I try to eat in the seatbelt on? <laughs> I know Mac is on the ship. next? Where, where did you go to next from, from that experience? You know, what was the next part of your journey? Yeah, from there uh, I got off the, the big boats down the Southern Ocean and ended up in the, the smaller marine unit of um, what's uh, Border Patrol now. So any patrol, I could be ended up in Cairns, off TI, Gove, Darwin, Weeper, and they were short deployments. So three, four weeks at the time um, on a 38-metre Bay-class vessel. So illegal narcotics, illegal Im- immigration, illegal fishing as well, and, and doing boardings as well, but uh, shorter deployments. So from there, yeah, I ended, ended up in a customs uh, operational unit down in Brisbane. So we would, uh, yeah, do, do some cool stuff. Whenever we, we got some intelligence that something was happening, we would... Um, go and sort it out or go and check it out. And from there, I guess I had an opportunity to go over to the UAE, to the Middle East, so for a couple of years, but ended up taking two years off uh, off customs and ended up being over there for eight years, which which we didn't see coming, actually, my husband and I. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. I'm sorry, I'm going to hit the rewind button just a little bit because fascinating how timing works out. Uh, I was in Brisbane on Monday and my, my best mate from school is in the CIB and works in the anti-drugs part of the Queensland, I don't know the detail. I probably shouldn't say it anyways because they find him. Uh, but it was in really, really fascinating getting the insights from him into that into that world, which none of us see. Yeah, a lot of the contraband and drugs coming in from Papua New Guinea, uh, out from uh, Mexico, all, all through you know, how porous that Queensland border is. I, and I said to him, I said, mate, does it not just feel like a relentless effort where you never get to the end? Is there ever a destination for, for what you do. How did you feel like in that? That's like a war, right? That kind of never ends. Yeah, it's it's a tough one actually because the government stance uh, and actually in my recruitment, I remember distinctly them saying, you're going to be faced with some really tricky decisions. You know, when you board a vessel and those illegal immigrants, you know, whether it's illegal drivers or legal immigrants, let's use that example, you know, when they've come from destitute, you know, they've given everything for a better life and here you are turning them away, how are you going to go? As, you know, predominantly as a female, 
you're more empathetic than the average bloke is, how are you going to go? And it's really hard because it's you, you do feel for those people. You, you do feel that they're just, you know, the, the drug runners, the, the importations, they're just the end of the line. But if we don't do our job, well, if, you know, back then, um, the country won't be the, the way it is right now. Um, th there's got to be those people on that front line that do the, the hard boardings and, and turn those boats away and and torch those boats to send a, a message back to the syndicate that you can't illegally fish or bring drugs in. It's um, it's it's just one by one because um, yeah, you're right. If you know the the moment we torch one boat, another boat will get built. But it's uh, if we're not there. Um, who, who knows what Australia's borders or what Australia will, will look like? I guess there's a big disadvantage in being the largest island on the planet and yeah. a lot of that uh, coastline after travelling around it you know, if, if, you know, for a year. It's such a big place that, that I don't, I mean, it's amazing we can, um, I suppose, protect that border to the extent that we can. So clearly you would have seen some, some you know, challenging things, some interesting things. What, what was one of the most what was this one of the strangest things that you saw um, when you were when you were uh, in that role when you were out there uh, on the water, you know, boarding boats? You know, what, what was what were some interesting things or strange things that you saw? Oh, lots. <laughs> um, look, I guess one thing that comes to mind is concealments. You know, where people can conceal things, <laughs> and probably how much they can conceal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because when you're doing a boarding and, you know, it's rough and it's not glamorous and you're in, in, in the bilge rolling around in oil and diesel and you've got your commanding officer in your ear saying, do not come back until you've found that GPS so that we can prove that they knew where they were or that you've found that concealment we know that is there. Um, you, it's, it's, it's not glamorous, um, but you, you know that you've searched, every, you and your, your colleagues have searched every inch of the boat. You know where it could be. <laughs> the, the, the possibilities start to shrink to the, oh, no. <laughs> uh, you got to be a special person to be on the other side of, of that game, don't you? Uh, so obviously within this journey, Natalie, Something's piqued your interest in human behaviour. Yeah, right. it has, yeah. What was that? Look, I think human behaviour is just, it can be beneficial to everyone. Um, it, it can, like I said, you know, you can use it in business. You can use it to be a, a better wife, better partner, a um, better family member, a better friend. When you can really understand why people do what they do, it's uh, it just opens up a whole new I guess a whole new ball game. Did you see some stuff sometimes and just think, "What the fuck, mate? What are you? What on earth has got you to your point in life where you are doing this right now?" And you and I have just met. You must. It must be mind blowing. Well, it's hard sometimes to tune off once those codes and patterns um, are. When you know that they're there, when you meet someone, it's really actually hard to to tune off because it's your poor husband. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he gets analysed all the time, all the time. <laughs> I guess you just become really curious in life. You, you get curious of, you know, why that person's like that or, you know, why do they say that? What do they mean? You know, um, where did that come from? So it's it's just using it and being curious about people. In a non-judgmental way, though, in, in a way of seeking to understand, yeah? Yeah, it's um, – I, I guess – when, when I was over in the Middle East, we did some hostage negotiation training for, for their special forces over there. So I helped with facilitate that training. And really, you know, whether it's the, the hostage taker um, or whether it's someone else that you're negotiating with, it's, it's the same thing. You've just got to create that connection with that person. You've got to understand why, why they want what they want. So it's understanding what's driving them and understanding what it is that they want and in the end ultimately thinking that the way that they're, they're getting is actually your way. This, this is interesting actually now because you're, here you are having done this in a European culture, you know, we're, we're Australians and we, we kind of all get each other and now you're going into another culture and you're talking about human behaviour. So what have you learned about the relationship between human behaviour and where you come from on the planet? 
Yeah, it's a really good question because language is is not everything. I, I mean, it's everyone knows that communication is is tonality, it's body language, and it's the content, it's the language we we speak. So it's it's that connection you get with that person. So teaching hostage negotiation in Arabic um, at times, going through a, a translator, you, you never know whether the whole thing gets through. But it's it's creating that connection with that person. What is it that you want? Yeah, it's, I uh, when, when I left the military, I, I went to Afghanistan, and uh, I obviously work with people who have similar background to yours, or come from uh, the regiment, and 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 they travel the world managing hostage crises you know, for for insurers, for example. Spend a lot of time in Mexico, uh, and it was really interesting to 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 talk to those people and to talk to yourself, which is just very measured people. Very unshockable, very like knowing. And, and I think because how many years now would you think you would have been sort of focused and and curious about human nature and human behaviour? Well, I reckon it, it definitely started. You know, when I think about it, it's even when I was sea kayaking, um, taking people on little sea kite trips around the Sundays. Back then, it was focusing on people. And asking them lots of questions. I remember my my friends used to always just say to me, Nat, you ask so many questions. And and they said that right back in high school. It's just, I think, when you're naturally really interested in people, you you learn so much about human behaviour naturally. And then it was just a matter of just honing some of those skills right through. I think it was sort of, you know, a natural attraction for me, understanding people. Um, and then just refining it a little bit and then knowing that it's a skill that now can be taught and shared with others. So in, the, in this journey, you've been in the Middle East for a while. Again, clearly the entrepreneurial bug uh, has struck again because you've taken what you've learned in this environment and you've transitioned into coaching and consulting. Where did you see that connection and as an entrepreneur, how have you utilised the skills to start and grow your business? Well, when I, when I was over in the Middle East, it's, um, I, I worked for both the British and the Australian governments. And when we decided to come back, my husband and I, I, I was actually coming back a mum. So I had a, a little one over there. Actually, over there in the Middle East, actually, you, you guys will be blown away by this. There's uh, three weeks maternity leave. <laughs> Almost as bad as Australia. <laughs> I knew that that'd be an important fact for you guys. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So um, having a little one over there and, uh, and and working with the government, I was turning to what when we go home, what am I going to do? Uh, the, the government agency I was working for, um, Attorney Generals, um, they actually said, look, I work for us. We've spent X amount of dollars on your clearances. You're an asset to us. Um, but at that stage, you know, driving down to Brisbane was going to be probably not um, something I'm, that I wanted to do. So moving back to the Sunshine Coast, I thought, what are some skills that I've got, some transferable skills that I can use um, in business? So obviously running your own business, you have that flexibility. So I was looking for something that I could add value to. Um, and, it, and it looked like that, you know, teaching people the codes and patterns of human behaviour would be something that would um, morph into, you know, what I'm doing today. And, and that's working with leaders and teams and, uh, and businesses as well. But what, what, what was it that got you, you comfortable with doing it? And again, I, uh, I know my experience and I'm not sure whether I explain it might put a, a connection there i'm really nervous now about like negotiating and communicating at the right level uh but but i, I remember when i when i started when i first saw an afterburn program and i saw one of my mates delivering it that's the first time i'd ever seen anything which was like speaking on a corporate level and it's like people people like that they do that do that stuff and journey in the last five years and 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 obviously forging a good strong friendship with sean and and seeing how much help people need to be their most effective version of themselves how did you know that what you did uh would would be transferable did you get curious about the industry was there a friend or what was the what were the steps that you took to transition out or did you just go freestyle and I'm uh, it's this or sea kayaks again yeah yeah all the boats yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I, I actually i looked into coaching 
So I think that that was a foundation for me to 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 do um, to get that groundwork and and become a coach. So it's how do I put um, the skills that I've learned right through that those natural skills of being able to negotiate and understand human behaviour and and everything that I've done put that into a saleable um, entity and and who needs it. So I, I did some coaching tuition over a couple of years. Uh, went into to business coaching, so helping startups and, and businesses at all levels, you know, scale and grow, and, and really teaching them the, the basics um, in addition to the business coaching of human behaviour, how to, to create rapport with your prospects, how to um, understand people's decision-making strategies or, or buying strategies from an authentic point of view. And then obviously leaders, you know, leaders, I had a, an opportunity to work for um, uh, an organisation that needed some, some leadership coaching. So went in with that model of, of teaching them the codes and patterns of human behaviour. And, uh, and, it, and it sounds so intriguing, but it's just basic. It's awesome skills that you, that once applied, you can apply it to, to any, every asset aspect of your life. So whether it be business or personal. I absolutely, you know, one of the things in my own journey, Natalie, is that um, seeing that same thing that that I think I undervalued the the skill set around understanding people and you know very much my own goals and driven largely by ego early on and all that sort of stuff. But I can honestly say that the the capability of learning to understand people and really truly understanding them and actually caring has and I've seen this same apply to, you know, my businesses in my inner circle program and other people I've mentored and coached over the years as well, is that by learning those skills, it, it as you said, it affects everywhere. It as, as a, you know, and again, targeting small business owners, that's where I, where I operate um, primarily yeah. and creating and maintaining an incredible team, you know, creating and maintaining great relationships with families, with, fam- with your family, with your friends. Um, you know, it, it, that literally you know, you can get winning winning business with clients and maintaining longer relationships with those clients it's all based on your ability to actually build not just rapport and i think people think rapport is this thing you do to make a sale um it's genuine it's genuine deep level of rapport and connection with somebody and the more you understand i think it's a very undervalued um, skill and more people need to learn it more people need to be able to understand and read people's intentions because it diffuses situations before they become a problem and things like that so totally totally agree and see it in in my own journey as well so just get out of yourself just get out of yourself get out of your own head like look at (laughs) that third person i often think that that's kind of a thing right like imagine you are your best friend not you you know what what would you say to yourself when you get these emotional attachment to bad things or why me you know how could this happen uh, how do you how do you maintain the balance uh natalie like obviously one of the issues about being insightful one of the issues about seeing bad things in life how do you maintain your own emotional connection with your family uh you, you just have one child you have a daughter or a son yeah i've got a daughter and, and uh, i've got a couple of stepdaughters as well so how do you how do you i personally find sometimes uh, I can become emotionally a bit disengaged from from the situation because my life has led me to have all of these compartments. How do you f- uh, make sure that you stay emotionally connected as well as having that objectivity? That that actually in itself is is quite tricky. Um, I think when you when you look at uh, work as as a box or say your client as a box, when you finish with that, you've got to put the lid on. Not from a point of view that um, I don't care about them anymore, but for, for you to, to be able to do that sort of work when you're serving clients, for, for it to be sustainable and for you to be able to tune off at the end of the day and go into normal life, um, home life, you've got to be able to, to put the, the lid on the box um, and, and just, um, I guess it's, it's just you know, reconnect with um, with family and, and know that it's it is it's different compartments and actually it's a big thing actually being able to tune off how do people tune off at the end of the day when you've got high performers leaders that are all the time thinking 
what, what sort of mess? Who suck the life out of you and, and will take everything that you give them to recharge themselves and keep, because uh, they're just as curious as you are, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point because you have to have purpose outside work. work whatever you do for a living doesn't define you. You've got to have um, a passion, a purpose outside work. You've got to have a reason to, to finish work. So whether that be your family, whether it be the gym that you're going to afterwards, the walk with your mate, I think it's really important to actually have something outside work that you, you love. Going through a, that similar journey into the, the, you know, the coaching and mentoring space, what I found initially when I got into it was I would clone the monkey that was on that person's back and put it on mine. And then the next one and the next one. And that, so I ended up having 10 monkeys of somebody else's. And yeah. I would just be like, and just collapse <laughs> under the weight of it. And as you said, it's about, yeah, you can help them try and tame the monkey, but give it back. You know, as you said, close the lid on the box. Yeah. That's, that's their journey. You can support it, but you don't have to carry it with you everywhere um, because it will actually bleed into all other aspects of your own life as well. Yeah. Do you know, Sean, the, the first time for me, um, I, over COVID, I actually found it really hard. I, I reached out to a mate um, for some support, actually, because I said for the first time, I feel as though every client that I have, every business coaching client, every leader um, I'm chatting to, everyone's got really tragic stories. Um, you know, they're, they're tra- their circumstances are, are tragic at the moment and they're in damage control. And I just found that what you just said, everything was compounding and I couldn't put the lid on the boxes. So I think it's really important. It's, well, it's, yeah, we have to be able to do it. For us to do our job and go from client to client to client and serve 300% when you're with them, you've got to be able to put, a, put those lids on. So it's... Um, I'll, I'll mirror that exactly. So between kind of March and... July, um, we ran an initiative inside our program called the Stronger Together Initiative. And basically, we turned our focus from outwards and stopped growing and just turned it inwards to support everyone through that. And that was a bloody difficult time. Same thing, because there were so many boxes that were open, they were so heavy, each one, it was very hard to close all of them. And I did... You know, and as you did, you reached out to a friend for support. I think as, you know, coaches and mentors and, and any supporter of other people, you need to also have your support network. And I, without my support network, I think it would have broken me because it was so, such an intense, you know, four or five months there yeah. to support people to shift their mindset to, to be uh, realistic but optimistic and not sit in a pessimistic place or and despite you know some of my clients being closed for five months in Melbourne because yeah. of the industry they're in and having zero income and you know having to sell assets to survive and all that sort of stuff but yeah it, it was really tough and it continues to be you know a really challenging time for so many so so for you Sean what what did you do specifically over that time how, how did you make sure that you you were okay each, each time. Um, I've done a lot of work with um, a good friend of mine, uh, Sand Mew, who's, who's an energy worker. She does a lot of clearings and I've learned a few skills around how to actually let go of that energy that you take on, that monkey that you're cloning and putting on your back. Yeah. And that's actually helped. But I also lent on you know, four key people that I have in my life to just be my sounding board to help. You know, they, they helped me by turning the valve and that overload of gas comes out, you know, it helps drop that level. And it just is realizing that even though as a, you know, a mentor coach, also staff, highly experienced in business and all of that, I also need other people to mentor and coach me. So I've got peer yeah. mentors, I've got coaches in different areas, um, you know, always not dropping the self care, you know, things like massage when we could, obviously is something I do consistently, Cairo, you know, exercise. You give give massages. You never let. You never told me. Not giving, but <laughs> come on, Sean. Stand the road. Bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about giving, Shawnee. It's all about giving. Being selfless. <laughs> Self care piece. I had to really, really focus on diet, sleep, exercise, and nurture because I could feel my battery just being drained. Not deliberately drained, but just because of the weight of everyone else's situations and. Obviously, that translates across to the you know your career, the things you've seen, the people we've had on the podcast, have seen other incredible you know horrendous things you know yourself, yourself boo. At times, it can get too heavy. You need to ask for someone to help you carry it. Oh yeah, last year you got smashed. Speaking events, like 
I think I managed to land the perfect trifecta, a speaking business, own a hotel, and an aviation magazine. Talk about talk about uh, throw a grenade into the uh, into the mix, but yeah, and it's been good, Sean. You've been awesome. Obviously, uh, helped through that. We created this whole environment to have these conversations on the back of it because we thought, hey, it's kind of important, and it's important for people to hear that successful people always also feel pain and also need help. That there's there's nothing magical except for that. We just have different experience. Yeah, it's you know, as business owners. We've got to look after ourselves because we're no good to anyone, are we? No, particularly small business owners. And I think people underestimate the pain here. You've got the big end of town that is making money hand over fist right now. The smaller operators, there's there's a lot more more risk there. And there's, as you said, Sean, there's people have been selling assets and and surviving. So as even as we come out of this. I still think there's a lot of hurt to, 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 to come and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to save all that money back. It's going to be hard to get back to the nest egg that got you through. We are re-baselining a lot of businesses right now in the SME space. Yeah. It, it's uh, a lot of those small businesses are having to, to totally remodel um, the, the way that they serve their clients previously. It's, it's being that you know, innovator and taking new initiatives. It's, it's remodeling. Um, their, their business, and like just really, what you guys have done. And what, what people have got to realise is that you've got to embrace and accept the fact that it's changed. Yeah. I think what yeah. I see the businesses that are struggling is they are still trying to hold on to what, what, what it was before. They are resisting it. They're blaming other people. They're screaming about politicians doing this, that and the other. And it's like you can't actually change that. Just yeah. focus on what you can control. And start the creative flow. What else could we do? You know, and I said, Boo and I, I've known, I met Boo originally when he did an afterburners thing about five years ago with, with a group that I was involved in. And then, you know, we continued to connect uh, over the years and he came and then did one for our inner circle group. And we were like, there's, there's, we've got something to, to share. I think people need to hear conversations that are, that are just from everyday people through to, you know, we had um, uh, Tony Nash, you know, the, the founder of Booktopia on a few weeks ago as well. Um, and he just listed his, his Booktopia company on the stock exchange. So, but everyone has the same stories. Everyone has the same challenges, the, the pain points and, and all of that as well. And we all learn stuff along the way. And I suppose where you are now versus, you know, being a, you know, a, a bright eyed uh, teenager, what would you go back and give yourself as a lesson from, from what you've learned over your life? It's, look, it's one, when you reflect back, um, I never thought that I, I would steal the twists and turns. Uh, a lot of people say, Nat, nah, you've been so lucky with what you've done. And, it, you know, we all know it's never luck. <laughs> so true. <laughs> luck, luck, I so mean, true. luck very rarely exists. And maybe I'm a cynic, <laughs> but I, I see it as opportunities come past us all the time, thousands a day. It's just there's only a few of us that, that grab the opportunities. So it's got to, you've got to see those opportunities and grab them and say yes, work out how later. And when you take those opportunities, it just opens up a door. And then that door opens up another door. So And that door opens up another door. So who would have thought that, you know, a little sea kite guide, a sea kite owner paddling around the Sundays, um, could end up doing hostage negotiation courses or, you know, being a, a behavioural profiler. So you you just, I wouldn't have picked it. But what I, I do know is that I, I look for opportunities. I was going to say I look for adventure. Um, but that's your mindset. Like you like to be, you like to be challenged and curious and that subsequently means, means, you know, adventure. And it's, it's interesting when you talk about luck, someone put it very eloquently, um, one day is, is you, you've got to get up early and watch a lot of sunsets to be lucky enough to see a beautiful one. Uh, it, it, but if you're not getting up every morning and you're not doing it, it's never going to happen. That's a given. We've got to focus on what you want, what you want, not what you're not getting, not what you don't want. It's what we focus on is what we get. It's it's really simple. So if we want if we want something different, we've got to focus on that. So and and you've got to take some risks if you want opportunities to open up. Um, you know, a, a risk is just something that you don't know the answer to, something that, that is uncertain. And most of us say, "Oh, I haven't done that before." You know, I'm not going to give it a go. But I'd go back to it. You know, mum and dad just drilled into us. It was just, it was just part of me growing up. 
do something you haven't done before these holidays. This yep. weekend, do something you haven't done before. So for me, it was just ingrown in, into me to, to take some little risks and therefore the opportunities open up. So that that would be, that is my message to everyone in business, people in life in general, just look for the opportunities and just grab them. Just say yes and work out how later. No, I think that's, it's just, it's so uh, true and so accurate and, uh, Nat, you'll 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 see within the people we speak to here that recurring theme just constantly resurfaces and resurfaces, and and that when you take a lot of risks in life, you eventually come to the point where you realise that nothing's really that risky. Um, it's it's just you got to think about it or prepare a bit more or 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 be prepared. That I I I, I kind of get why people climb. Uh, do rock climbing now without ropes on because you don't realize the reserves that are in you until you put yourself out there you know when and 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 we've got so much latent capacity as a human being i think um and putting yourself out there that's where the joy comes from when you realize you can do something more than what you thought i'm too old for all that stuff now obviously so uh but i think that's that's a really awesome point to um a really awesome point to to finish off uh with uh, natalie thanks so much for uh, sharing your uh insights and uh hopefully now with covid kind of on the way out um we'll start to see some of the, uh, your 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 clients and all of us will see a bit of a lift uh in in the world i, I can already feel that positive energy uh starting to uh, to happen again and uh, and no doubt out uh nap the the people that listen to this podcast there's so much value in uh, reaching out to you and learning uh, how to be on the other side how to be in the other person's shoes and i'd be i'm fascinated to go and explore a little bit more what these codes are and and uh, see how i can uh, decode sean uh, in the debrief after this uh, podcast sure, sure it's easier workout oh there we go there's the gauntlet mate <laughs> <laughs> you just you've got to get over yourself that is the main thing get over yourself it's not about you nothing's about you it's just be curious about other people she's not talking about you mate this is general by the way i really really appreciate you taking the time get over yourself <laughs> We'll put uh, links in the show notes and stuff to uh, people who want to get in touch with you and uh, maybe explore some of the things that you do as well. Cool. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for the chat. Thanks, Ali. Take care. This has been The View Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The View Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at viewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of The Few. We'll see you next week.